Can you dig it, sucker? Live from Houston, Texas, and around the world. Join the six-time world heavyweight champion, two-time WWE Hall of Famer, and WWE NXT announcer, Booker T. Booker T. Alongside his right-hand man, the boat, Brad Gilmore. It's time to get your champagne wishes and caviar dreams. Welcome inside the Hall of Fame. Now, can you dig that? Welcome inside the Hall of Fame, guys. It's Booker T, six-time world champ, two-time Hall of Famer, with my man Brad Gilmore. Brought to you by Podcast Heat. Oh, yes. Hey, man, uh, we're in um, Las Vegas, Nevada right now, getting ready for the big fight going down this weekend. Canelo Alvarez versus Jermail Charlo for, you know, all the gold. It's going to be a hell of a fight. Can't wait for that to go down. But tonight is, is more about Brad and I bringing... Um, Planet 13 to the world and um, doing something a little bit different, bringing the, uh, uh, not just the, um, the wrestling side of the Hall of Fame, but the real side of the Hall of Fame, the life side of the Hall of Fame. And we're going to be doing it here tonight, coming to you again from Planet 13. Bradley, how you doing, dog? How you feel? Yeah, I'm doing good, Book. You know, um, uh, again, we're here in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, getting ready for that big fight as you, as you put on. But you know, people normally who, who hear the Hall of Fame, longtime fans, they all say the same thing. Like, you get a lot of life advice on this show. There's a lot of game given, you know, and, and, and you've soaked it up with some guests that we've had on here. I've soaked it up from you and some guests that we've had on here, like when we had Bun on recently. Just so many gems were dropped in that one. But um, I think some of the topics that we plan to cover today uh, are, are things that aren't discussed a lot um, I guess I don't want to say publicly, but I guess publicly, right? I mean, when it when it comes to the wrestling industry and the entertainment industry as a whole, and um, some of the pitfalls of the past of life and of life as well, um, when it comes to um, you know, all, all the things that you've seen in your travels and and time thirty how many years thirty three thirty three years yeah. In the business, mm-hmm. 33 years in, in yeah. entertainment. Yeah. You know? On the road. And really before that, right? I mean, because you were in the remote controls, the world-renowned dance trio. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no doubt, man. You know? I mean, no uh, doubt. With, you know, y'all had, didn't you, didn't you have like pyrotechnics? <laughs> at, a, at a show one time, yeah, I did have some pyrotechnics. Uh, actually, uh, a pyrotechnic uh, difficulties. <laughs> actually, some blow no, up no, what something? happened was uh, tell that I was, story. I was in a, uh, a dance contest, and it was the uh, the remote controls, and we had dressed in all white um, on, on this occasion, and and uh, I didn't have a, a pair of white pants, but I, I knew my brother had a pair. And he had a, a sweet pair of pinstripe white. And, the pinstripe, and this is a Stevie? Stevie Ray, yeah. So the, the, the pinstripe bled into the, the white perfectly. So I stole those pants, and um, I had a white vest to go with it. And the uh, object of the, uh, the, uh, the story was, was uh, we was going to be like puppets. And we was going to like a jack-in-the-box. We were going to come out of the boxes. We had, so we had four big boxes on stage uh, with uh, actually 
foil paper on the outside of it, you know, where it looked like, you know, something space age. And uh, and we had these little smoke bombs that you buy at the, you know, like, you know, like fireworks, you know, those little bitty smoke bombs, they're yellow, some of them red, you know what I mean, some of them purple, you know, so we, we the plan was to light that smoke bomb so we would get the smoke effect, you know, <laughs> not realizing it got hot. And it got real hot. So you, we're holding it in our hand. We're, we light it. And, and, and next thing you know, it was so hot I had to drop it in the box. And then next thing you know, it, it hit my pants and my pants caught on fire. I had to put the fire out. And my ass came jumping out that box. And that, needless to say, we didn't win that contest. You know, because oh, you don't was, say. It was a disaster. But it was a good idea. Now, it, was a, it was a damn good idea. How old were you at this time? Uh, probably... Uh, I'm 13, 14. 13. Yes. So you can say you've been really an entertainer, you know, whether professionally or amateur, <laughs> yeah. for your whole life, right? I mean, essentially. No, me and my sister, we used to be the family entertainment at Christmas time, Thanksgiving. We always had a dance routine. It was always fun. You know, that's, those are the uh, memories, I think, are my most fondest memories as a kid is, you know, me and my sister just acting a fool and I think that's why I kind of gravitated to wrestling so easy because you got to be able to make fun of yourself you got to be able to laugh you know what I mean and uh you know so for me uh for me it's, it's always been one of those things to where uh, entertainment has just been you know I guess a part of my life has, has been my escape um, I've always been able to be somebody else a lot better better than I could be myself. I don't know why. Even yeah. in wrestling, I've always been able to gravitate to a character. And the character, you know, is definitely not me, but when I become the character, it becomes so much easier than actually trying to do it, you know, throughout my own, you know, being. It's kind of crazy. It's really, it's really weird. Well, you know, and the reason I bring this entertainer side of things up is because of, you know, some of the subject matter that, that we plan on covering in this podcast today is when you look at some of the biggest entertainers of all time, right? Uh, you, you and I were just talking about a couple when we were driving through Las Vegas yesterday. We were talking about Michael Jackson, that is. We were talking about Prince. You can even go to Elvis. Yeah. Um, you can go to some of the big names. You know, the Janis yeah, Joplin's yeah. of the world. Yeah. The um, uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe's. So uh, Amy Winehouse's. So many, so many. So many uh, um, that, that we're not even remembering at this moment. And something that they all have in common is that they were massive entertainers, top of their game, but they were led down uh, the wrong path. And when I say the wrong path, I mean with their extracurricular activities. And sometimes not even extracurricular, just things that come about being in this show business, right? Because... I think what people don't realize, and you can speak to this better than I, but what people don't realize about the entertainment industry is that, you know, they see you for that, whatever it was, 15 minutes in your match on TV that night, or they see you on stage for the hour doing a concert, yeah, right? But yeah. they don't think about, okay, wait, for instance, this guy lives in Houston. He's got to get on a plane. He's got to fly out here. He's got to get a rental car. He's got to check into a hotel. He's got to go do sound check. Got, there's all the stuff that comes before the show and then after the show. They got to make the next town. 
And I feel like that's maybe a good spot to open up this conversation of getting from place to place. It's not so much the show. It's the in-between the show and the next show where all the issues come about. So I guess let's speak to that first off. When you got into wrestling, uh, whether that be in global or a couple years after you go into WCW, how rough was that road schedule and the travel? You know, I don't, I don't think it was as rough as, you know, it was rough, okay? Uh, don't get me wrong. When you're on the road, you know, 21 days out of the month, it could get, it could get pretty rough. Um, but you got to understand also, you know, when you're young, it's a, it's a whole lot of fun at the same time. You know, when it's something that you've never done before, you go, wow, man, this is really, really cool. Um, I like this. No matter how tired you are, you, 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 you want to stay awake as long as you possibly like a little kid. You want to stay awake as long as you can. Um, so that part right there you could deal with. Um, I think it's the um, it's not that like that one hit they say um, just say for instance in boxing it's the accumulation of hits over a period of time right it's not one hits. punch exactly exactly my, my point you know so for me um, I, I think um, in the beginning it's, it's a whole lot of fun and then all of a sudden you know it becomes a grind because your body is starting to check out on you a little bit um, things are starting to hurt a little bit more. Um, and, and then you have that stigma, you know, man, you don't want to lose your spot. You don't want to lose your spot. Speak to that for people who might not know, like, the politics of, especially pro wrestling, the proverbial spot and losing the spot. Like, what does that mean exactly? Well, I think, really, I think it's, uh, it's all mental. I, re I really think the, um, the spot thing is mental as far as someone losing their spot. Because I really always felt like if someone was really, really good, the spot was always secure. But for certain guys, um, they could think that if they were out, you know, a certain amount of time, you know, somebody could slide in there and, you know, be the flavor of the month. Because this business has always been about the flavor of the month, you know, and um, you don't want to take yourself out of the game, you know. You always want to stay in the game as long as you possibly can. So I think um, I think it's a stigma and a mentality uh, more than anything, but a lot of guys have had that stigma and that mentality. And, and again, for people maybe listening and, and under, not understanding fully the spot thing, what Booker's saying, the mental part of it is if I don't show up for this show, right, that could be it for my career, right? Like if I – it doesn't matter if I'm sick – if I'm getting married, if my dog died, if my grandmother passed, if uh, I'm hurt, if I'm sore, if I'm tired, if, I'm, if I just threw up 10 minutes ago leaving the hotel, if I don't make the show, where I am currently on the show could go away. Is that, that's what you're saying, right? Well, that, you remember I, I always talk about the part as far as they got to be able to trust you. Right. They got to be able to have, you know, full faith in you. Um, for me, I've been, you know, really, really in, in a spot to where, you know, should I go to work or not? And, and, and my, my thing was, well, I'm going to show up to work whether they send me home or not. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, they're going to send me home, but I'm going to show up. I'm not going to just call in and say, you know, I'm sick and I can't make it. That's just not the way it works. Just not the way the wrestling business works. 
if anybody get into it thinking that, you know, it's a business where they can call in sick one time, they have a problem. You know, so uh, for me, um, it's always been about, you know, um, them being able to trust you and you being able to get out there and grind no matter what the cost may be. I remember um, Jake the Snake saying it in his, um, what, Beyond the Mat, Beyond the Mat, um, where uh, he was talking to his daughter and his daughter was talking to, talking to him about why, do you, why does he have to be on the road so much? And he told his daughter, you know, when you sign that WWF contract, honey, you are obligated to work every day. And, and that's kind of true um, in this business. It, it's always been that way. It's always been a grind. Um, for me, I've, I've always been able to understand what this business is about as far as the grind goes and being able to preserve myself and I think it was all because of the way I came up as a kid. What do you mean? Well, a lot of a lot of these guys that get into the wrestling business, they really never had a job. This is all they've ever done. This is all they've ever, ever wanted to do. Um, for me, um, being able to avoid those pitfalls as a as a grown man was because I, I saw those pitfalls when I was a young young boy, when I was a kid. Um, Preteen age, I, I saw the pitfalls. Um, I lost my father when I was 10 months old. Um, I, I lost my mother uh, when I was 13 years old. Um, life on the street, you know, becomes pretty hard. You know, I lost my direction after that happened. And uh, after your mother passed, yes, yeah. after my mother passed, pretty much lost my direction. A 13 year old. You know, as far as school is, was something that I really wanted to do, but I wasn't equipped to do because I wasn't in the right environment to do. Um, I always thought about being Perry Mason, you know, and <laughs> not to have had a chance to do that because I wasn't in the right place for this, you know, to, to, to be schooled properly. So you had like aspirations of being a lawyer or an investigator? Yeah, yeah, I really did. I yeah, really, that's awesome. I really wanted I didn't to know that. do something um, on that level. I mean, that's what I, that's, at least that's what I thought about. You know, you know, was it whether it ever happened or not? You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, but for me, it's something that I did is aspire to want. You know, uh, but things um, didn't go the way that I. That was planned. Let's just say that, as a kid, you know, when my mother passed, um, I got swept up in the system pretty much. I became, you know, my own boss. Uh, you know, I, 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 I made my own rules. You know, nobody could tell me what to do. Uh, ended up quitting school because. And how you know, old were you? Seventeen. Seventeen. Um, because there was no focus there. There was no direction. So, to, so the schooling totally went went to the wayside um then start running with the, the boys trying to f be a man you know not knowing what a man really is not ever being taught what a man should be um having to figure it out on my own um that's when things can really really get tricky but before running with the boys that time in between 
I got a chance to see life on the street as far as the pimps, you know, the pushes, you know, the the prostitutes running around, the the, the drug deals being made, um, guys getting shot and killed right before my very eyes. Um, it was a, it was so real. I remember being, um, a, you know, a, a young kid. I guess. Uh, um, 16, 17, down on the corner um, of um, Commerce and Maine. So this is down- like downtown. Yeah, downtown. Houston. And uh, I had a, a little job, and I had to catch the bus. And uh, I saw this guy walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, pacing. So I said, let me take myself out of the situation for a second. Come back um, five seconds, five minutes later. He had stabbed a guy in the heart, got on the ground, dying, you know, right before my very eyes. I remember being, uh, you know, a young young kid at the car wash, and uh, one of my friends, Ted, got in a fight with another kid. Uh, guy go to, you know, you know, square off on Ted. Ted pulls out a gun and shoot him. Guy's friend pulls out a shotgun, shoot Ted, right before my very eyes. I remember. Uh, Growing up as a, a, a youth, a young kid as well. My best friend, uh, Robert Barkins. Uh, before that, his name was Robert Wheatfall. His m- mother got married, changed his name. That's how close I, I was to this kid, you yeah. know. I used to go hang out with him, you know, uh, out in Missouri City. Uh, he ended up moving from South Park to Missouri City. We, we, we were best friends. He got into it with a kid at the um, Phase 4 skating ring and... Uh, end up going to jail because he didn't just get into it with the kid. He ended up shooting the kid and killing him. And then he goes and to how jail. How old was he? Uh, 16. He Tried um, as an adult? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, but it didn't even get to that point because he hung himself in jail. Killed himself. You know, so I got to see like so much life and so much trauma as well as so many People ruin their lives on drugs, being strung out on drugs and literally uh, lose everything. Everything, everything that they've built, lose it all just because of uh, getting addicted, getting caught up. And this is what, mid uh, early 80s, late yeah. 70s? Late 70s. Late 70s. Yeah. And this is um, what, I mean, this is heroin? This is crack. Uh, this is uh, it was uh, <laughs> uh, crack was wasn't really on the scene at that time. It was more uh, like uh, syrup. Okay, uh, so like promethazine coating. Yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, Always been a, a Houston. They had these pills like, that they would mix with it. Um, <laughs> they would take this uh, quaalude. Oh yeah. And they would take the uh, quaalude and take it apart and and put it in the in the syrup and mix it, shake it up, and um, people were walking around like zombies. They call it a Jim Jones special. Mm. And uh, and no, they're not referring to the rapper. Yeah, Jim yeah. Jones. This is yeah, but I, I saw the leader. I saw the needles as well. You know, I saw you know uh, the effect of it and what. 
what it did to you know so many people. Uh, women, you know, uh, they again leave their their families and their kids and everything to have that drug. Yeah, you know, so it was um, a life that I, I saw as a kid. So for me, way before I ever got into business, I saw the destruction of it, and I and I just knew if it could do it to them. It could easily do it to me. But that's my question is like in that situation that you were in, you know, like you said, you you weren't given the right direction out of school at 17. You see your friends getting in trouble. Like you said, running with the boys, the shootouts, the pimps, the pushers, the prostitutes, as you said. I mean, why didn't you go into why didn't you go fall into the drugs? Why didn't I fall into the pimping? Uh, or the pimping. Why did I fall into the drugs? Why did I fall into the life? Just because I, you know, when you see a, just say for instance, a, a man beat up a woman, right, with his with his bare hands, and nothing's done about it. No, there's no recourse. There's no um, prosecution. There's nothing. It's just as well as the woman. She's not gonna leave. She's gonna go right back to him, and she's gonna go back out there on the street, and she's gonna come back and give him that money. And I, and, I, and I saw it up close and personal. Um, for me, um, I just thought that was a cowardly act. And I wished as a little kid that I could do something about it. I wish that I could have fought, you know, for those women. Yeah. And um, and I just knew it, it did something for me as a kid that I was going to take with me as a man um, as well. You're never going to hear any stories about me putting my hands on any woman ever right. in my life because of what you saw, what what I saw, and I go, wow, how could a person be so cruel? And and then you know, so, so who's going to do who's going to do something about it? Right. Yeah. Seeing those things, you know, a lot of people would say, well, this is just normal behavior, and then they wouldn't think twice about it. Right. It had the opposite effect on you, uh, which is. You know, strange, but let's, let, let's kind of go forward a little bit, get to more of the root of what um, you know we were going to talk about. So you see all these drugs going on, and they were, and let me make the assumption. Let me not make the assumption. They were easily accessible to you if you wanted them, right? BT, they were easily accessible to you if you wanted them. No, I mean uh, they were there in the street. I mean, you could go out and find it if I you mean, wanted. You could it. find anything you want on the street. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it was like a pharmacy. It wasn't like as well as back then. It was cheap, right? It wasn't like it, you know, um, you know, uh, hard to find or anything like that. It's a little place uh, in, in Houston called the Waterfront. That's where all the action was, and uh, and I was on the waterfront listening to Willie Hutch and. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> seeing Foxy Brown way before you know the movie, <laughs> and uh, Willie's a bad man. No, Willie no, has some great no. tunes. My sister had a place that that she used to run called the Seashore Lounge, and uh, I was in that place as a kid. You know, washing dishes and you know watching the action, seeing yeah. the players come in, and and, and the thing is too. When you see um, one of these movies where, like, the players ball, it was really like that. Wow. It was really like that 100%. The pimps was the pimps. The players were the players. 
The hookers was the hookers and the hoes was the hoes. <laughs> it was crazy, man. It was crazy. And for me as a kid watching this, it it it, it did something to me uh, also um, as far as I got a chance to see, um, I think, the lewdness of life well before I should have. Yeah. You know, when kids were... You know, studying and doing the homework. I was on the waterfront hanging out watching hookers running around. Yeah. Get paid, you know, and, and, and flat cars now, you know. It was, so it was It's kind of different for me to be able to talk to <laughs> kids, uh, uh, you know. Well, they're looking the for X. Age. You're trying to solve for an algebraic <laughs> equation. Exactly. <laughs> so. Like, you know what I saw last night? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was kind of... Um, very eye-opening in that sense, and it, that that definitely made me grow up really, really quick. Yeah. And the reason I think we're going down this this path of kind of talking about your your upbringing um, as relates to the subject matter at hand, because you get into entertainment, you get into the wrestling business. Um, it was safe to say at the time where you came in, which is just after what a lot of fans and even the era is described as the cocaine 80s right where you know that was the the drug of choice for a lot of people not just in wrestling just in general the cocaine 80s and then you move forward into when you broke in the 90s when do you remember seeing the culture of pro wrestling for the first time because at that time um drugs for better or for worse actually for worse were part of the culture of wrestling yeah, you don't know. I mean, no, it's always been a, a part of the culture, I guess, of wrestling. Um, but it's always been a part of the culture of life. That's true. I, I think. I, I don't think. Uh, That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's, you know, just, uh, you know, relegated to professional wrestling or anything like that. I think with with the drug thing, you know, no matter where you are, you can get caught up. You can be, like I say, just out in the club and. Um, meet someone and you've never done drugs for the first for the first time because you with that person and want to impress them you do it and then from that point on you you want more that 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 hit one more time um for me in wrestling i saw it uh, pretty much from the beginning when i started in you know the uh, wwa um you saw guys that did certain drugs and and they they had their certain kicks and whatnot that got them, you know, to their points, you know. But for me, uh, I just never was one of those guys to, you know, want to experience drugs at that level. But when I, the the the, the more I moved up, um, the the ladder, you know, like going to the Global Wrestling Federation, you got a chance to really see it because you know it was a lot of veterans down there and they were a little bit more hardcore. And then you get to WCW, and that was a totally different animal because we start traveling around the world. Um, when you start traveling around the world, as as well as when you become quote unquote a star, um, that's when you know you people don't want to want you to buy anything. They want to take care of you. Hey, I got this for you. Hey, slide that under the table to you. You know, a little handshake, whatnot. You know, a little some little handoff. Um, you know, hey, whatever you need. It, it was, it's one of those type of deals, you know. Hey, I got that for you. You know, just say, for instance, you go to the bar, you can get drunk because everybody want to, you know, I, I, got, I got your next round. Mm. You know, it's one of those type of things. You, you become a star. So that's when the pitfalls can happen because it feels good. It feels good to be catered to. 
Right. Feels good to be the star of the, the show. Feels good to be the the, the, the the guy, the man, you know, the champ. You know, that stuff, it feels good. It's, it's, it's intoxicating. It really is. But if you don't know how to handle it, it can consume you. It can be like, you know, when I was that young 19-year-old kid with my boys and we running around getting in our trouble and, you know, committing crimes. Felt good, you know, getting away with it. Yeah. You know, the euphoria you get out of it. Uh, and uh, and then that, that whirlwind starts to spin. It's spinning the whole time. You just don't realize how fast it's, it's getting, you know. And, and once you realize how fast it is, you can't get out. You're in it. Uh, you stuck in it until it stops. You know, when I was that young kid, when that whirlwind stopped, I was on my way to TDC, Texas Department of Corrections. You know, in uh, life, you get caught in that whirlwind, you know, just like the Kurt Angle situation. Yeah. You know, you can find yourself, you know, trying to feed, you know, whatever habit you, that you have, you know, at any, any means necessary, by any means necessary. You know, and it can take you down a, a dark, dark place. And that's what the, that's what the wrestling business you know, it 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 can, it can, it could be, but but there it is. The uh, it's what you make it though, right? Uh, any entertainment uh, form of yeah. entertainment, any form of life can take you down that same road. You got to be able to handle those those pitfalls, those obstacles, and and those um, temptations more than anything, because those temptations are going to drive you. They're going to they're going to eat at you, and they're going to. Ha- and it's not something that you that's uh, going to happen just once. It's going to happen all the time. You have to really be almost testing yourself in situations uh, when you're out there because if you, if, you, if you don't look at everything like it's a test, you're going to fail it sooner or later. Uh, there again, um, I've been offered to, you know, party, you know. And if you don't know what partying means, <laughs> you can end up in a whole lot of trouble. You can say, yeah, I like the party. I like, I like the party. fun. Exactly. So you got to know the <laughs> that's term. That's what I would say. Exactly. Look, that's what I said. <laughs> and then you, know, you figure out what party means. No, no. I, uh, just, just, no just for instance, um, I, I was out one time. In this, I was in a club in Houston. And this girl goes, hey, you, uh, you, you party? And I go, Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, party. Because, you know, I thought that we were about to party. <laughs> and then uh, when I realized, she goes, well, you know, we can go and buy, you know, an eight ball of this. And I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, not that kind of party. I don't, I, that's not what I'm talking about, you know. But, I, but the thing is, just think about it for a second. If I was weak, I would have said, okay, yeah, let's go get it. Because I, I, because I want to be with her. And, and forget about you know, what this one night could lead to, could lead to destruction. That one night, you know, you just think about like the, the Lynn Bias story, you know, he's, he was a kid, uh, you know, when, when Lynn Bias was, took his first and only hit of cocaine, killed him. And it can be that easy. Yeah, yeah. But what led him to actually take that first hit? Right. Being that kid, being that All-American, being the guy that just got drafted to Boston, getting ready to take the Celtics to the next level. What made him take that hit? That's the question. 
Right. Yeah. When, when it comes to wrestling, if we if we can speak to that for a second, um, you know, you see the the culture as it was, like you said, with any in, form of industry or, or entertainment or life. Um, but this is one where you're taking a lot of abuse on the body, and a lot of guys go to um, like you you mentioned Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle's been very public about you know his uh, so many guys demons, so right? Guys, yeah, there's yeah. been a lot though. I mean. You heard him from Scott Hall, you know, God rest his soul. Shawn Michaels has been public about his past drug use. Marty Jannetty, uh, who was his tag partner. Many guys. I mean, we, we can go down the list of a lot of guys. You know, part you would imagine it's not just because they you know want to party. Some of it's because, hey, I'm hurting a little bit, right? Um, oh, you got a painkiller for here. Oh, this will get you up for the match. I think that was another thing Jake would say, right? You take a bump to get up for the match, and then you take a sleeping pill to come down from it, yeah. right? Or a yeah. painkiller to come down from it. Yeah. And, that, and that was a real reality for a, a lot of guys. Um, and, and I'm not saying you know you mention anybody specific, but is that something you saw guys doing, um, especially in your earlier years? Oh, man, look, honestly, so many guys, so many guys I've seen coming to this business – is so straight laced. Never had a drink. Never took a pill. Never did anything like that. And then after a few years on the road, I think the um, the hardest part about the road is the mental, the mental portion. Uh, the physical part is, you know, we we can bear that, um, but the mental part it, it, it starts weighing on you. It starts weighing on you. Like I say, it start you start thinking about those injuries. You start thinking about slowing down a little bit. And then you got to figure out how you're going to keep up. How you going to keep up? What am I going to do to keep up? You know, what's going to get me What's going to get me up and get me to the gym? First thing first thing in the morning, what's, what's going to do that? I'm going to get up, get me a cup of coffee. I'm going to take something, you know, and then I'm going to get in the gym. What's going to get me through the rest of the day? Let me take a couple of more. And then you find yourself compounding that over, you know, periods of times over and over and over. And then you find yourself living on that waking up in the morning ha- not not having that is the worst thing in your life you know so you figuring out okay now how am i going to manage making sure i keep my keep keep that so so your brain is automatically stuck on peels and and, and making sure i make sure i keep up with my intake uh, i've seen guys have a a, a calendar um, laid out to how many pills that they have to take, how many that they have to get, how many doctors that they have to see. It is one of those things to what once you go down that rabbit hole, it's it's really hard to come out. And the thing is, it starts with injuries. It starts with um, those 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 neck those nagging injuries to where okay, uh, I'll take one now and I'll feel a little bit better. But but then there again. You know, I better take another one. It's going to make me feel a little bit, a little bit better than that. Um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really hurting, and, and, and I, I need to get off the road. That's the way it was back then. I'm so, I'm so glad it's, it's a lot different now. I, I, I know I should take myself off the road, but I can't. You know, because if I do that, there again, my spot might get taken. I got a family to feed. Not thinking about it, it's so, it's such a conundrum. It really is. It's such a conundrum because you you don't want to be in that, that position, but you find yourself in that position. And you find yourself in that position not knowing how to get out of that position. 
once you get in it. Because addiction, I, I really can't speak on on pills or anything like that. I know, and, and I know I'm I'm going on. No, it's, it's it's really hard for me to speak on the addiction of pills because I've never been a pill guy. I've never been someone that you know woke up in the morning and felt like I needed a pill. I've I've, I've been a guy that could have surgery and they would give me a prescription. And I would take a couple of those pills and, and the rest of the bottle would still be in the cabinet just because I felt like I was okay. Yeah. Um, give me a Tylenol. And there, I, t I tell the story about if something is, is too good for you, it's, it's, it's bad for you. I tell the story about being in the hospital and they giving me Dilaudid and me having a, a, a hallucination to where I'm playing golf in the PGA. It made me feel so good. I had just had surgery and it felt like I could get up and walk out of the hospital with no problem. So I knew that was not something that was good for me, but you got people that would admit themselves just to get that drug because that's how strung out they are on having that feeling. Now, do those people actually want to do that? They're probably fighting it every single day. How can I get off of this? But once you get on it, it's really hard to get off. So the guys are doing, you know, these things. You see it, you know, the calendars, the cycles, and the and you know, what they all got to do. They got to jump through hoops just to get that fix of the of the prescription medications. Yeah, right is what you're talking about. Um, what what I guess because because for people who don't know, we did a an interview here recently in um, in 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 one of the sites. They were talking about helping talent avoid the pitfalls of the past was the, yeah. was the, the, the headline yep, yep. of the article. And the crux of the idea is you, you talking about how um, cannabis and cannabis-related products could, could have helped a lot of these guys live a different life. And, 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 and I want to ask you this because I, uh, a few years ago, there's a, everybody knows the, the comic Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi had his, a, a show on Discovery called yeah. Growing Belushi, where he's a, now in Oregon, he's a marijuana farmer, and he runs a, uh, I guess, a, that's what it's called, right? A, a, is it an orchard? It's a farm, right? A yeah, marijuana yeah, farm? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the technical yeah, term yeah, is for yeah. it, but I mean, that's what he's running up there. And um, when I was talking to him, his brother, John Belushi, who was a well-known drug uh, user addict, for cocaine, pills, whatever he could get, alcohol, yeah, the yeah. things he'd get his hand on. John Belushi died very young. And his brother Jim told me, had he had access to cannabis or cannabis-related products, he would still be here to this day. Um, so speak on what you think the benefits are of, of that path versus a pill path, I guess, would be the way to frame the question. I mean... I can only speak from experience, and uh, I've watched you know so many you know friends you know just say relatives you know like my uncle died from pancreatic you know from drinking and you know um, I've seen so many of my friends uh, you know die in the wrestling business due to taking you know. Somas, you know. And what's a soma? That's soma's a, a muscle relaxer. Okay. Uh, and is that that was a common? That I've was, heard that. That was, that was a com that was a common drug that guys used to take. But it was a, it was it was literally for relaxing the muscle. But you could do too much of anything, um, and it really made you feel good. 
I remember this one drug um, also uh, that they sold in GNC. It was called Renutrient. And um, the guys were really, really hooked on that. Uh, Renutrient was a, a bodybuilding supplement that you should take at nighttime, that it worked in your sleep. Um, but you, the guys realized, man, you know, you take a, take a drink of that and, man, you can get really, really, really high off of it. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, how, Halcyon. Halcyon was a, another drug that guys, you know, was taken way back in the day that would just, boom, put you to sleep like that. Um, and for me, I, 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 I saw it like up close and personal, um, Vicodin, you know, what it was doing to, you know, like so many of the boys. Right That's before, a painkiller, right, Vicodin? It's a painkiller. Um, uh, Percocet. Uh, another painkiller. Another perc. Uh, another painkiller. Uh, Darvacet. Oh, I don't know that one. No, that's another painkiller. <laughs> I mean, for me to know all of these these names, um, I was around. You sound like you're a doctor. No, no, <laughs> no, no. When when you uh, when you watch the movie The Wrestler, yeah, with Mickey Rourke, and you see him take out the pill bottle and he shake it. He knew exactly how many pills was left mm. in there, just because it, that's what you know. That's what I've seen up close and personal with my very own eyes, and I and I and I and, and not just that. You could see the guys; it, it make them feel good, but you could see them deteriorating at the same time, yeah. right before your very eyes. Yeah. And for and for me, it was something that I just didn't want for myself. Um, marijuana, um, um, CBD. Uh, has always been something for me if I if I had to turn to it I knew I could turn to it and it wasn't going to change my personality it wasn't going to make me a different person and I wasn't going to do anything stupid because I uh, because I because I smoked a joint you know right. uh, or took a CBD uh, I, I just think from a common sense perspective I've seen it with my own eyes as well as I'm 58 years old and I'm still here <laughs> and, I, and I still got pretty much part of my senses left uh, uh, with me as well at 58. And, I, and I've seen so many guys, you know, over, over the years of my friends at 58 years old that's not faring as well uh, as I am. And I know it's due to the way I treated myself on the road. Now, can can you, can you um, contribute everything to, to pills? No, a lot of guys partied, they burned the alcohol. candle at both ends. They did alcohol mixtures. It was yeah. a mixture of it as well. Um, for me, I wasn't the guy. I was in my my room playing my video game. Um, you know, I was would occasionally have a drink, uh, but it wasn't something that um, I, I I I could never get drunk. I, if I got drunk, I, I felt like, you know, I was out of my senses. I was out of control, you know. So no one has ever seen me once dr drunk other than hanging out with The Undertaker occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that he probably brings it out of you. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, actually, I've known you for now 11 years. I've never seen you yeah, inebriated yeah. once. Well, it's just not something. My body just doesn't, you know, um, function um, well that way. So... I just, you know, I, I tend to not want to go down that road. 
just because I've seen so many people go down that road and it's not a pretty sight seeing somebody sloppy drunk. It's not seeing, it's not a pretty sight seeing someone fall over and, you know, uh, it's not a pretty sight seeing someone being an angry drunk and wanting to, you know, get into a fight because just because they're drunk. Right. They want to cause trouble. That kind of stuff for me uh, has always been uh, eye-opening experiences and experiences that I just did not want to have. Yeah. Well, um, to me, then to go back to it about we talk about the the injuries, the um, the uh, the muscle soreness, the the nagging wear and tear of being on the on the road, um, and you were you were hinting at CBD there for a moment. Um, we we now live in a in an age to where um, I guess the interesting dichotomy is all those drugs that those guys were doing the pills the. What'd you say, Darvaset? What is it? Dar- Percocet, Darvaset. Per- Percocet, Darvaset, yeah. all those things. Yeah. What? Yeah. At that time, those were still all, you know, according to the laws of the land, legal. I don't know if and they, they got still them. still are. And they still are. Yeah. I don't know if they got them all by legal means or not, but but they were all legal drugs. Um, for the longest, cannabis, cannabis-related products, marijuana specifically, things with THC involving in them have been illegalized in the country for, I mean, at least my entire lifetime and prior yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah. And now, though, there's a there's an age and a generation and um, where 38, 38... No, you're fine. I was trying to introduce you to my fiance, and I said, this is King. <laughs> King of the world. King of the world. King of the world. King of the world. Um, but... <laughs> but, but now all right i'll see you guys in a minute all right but now uh, <laughs> don't do it don't do it don't do it another moment another moment <laughs> but um but 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 the um what i was saying is you know we're, we're in a generation now where 38 states in the, in the united states yeah. have a legalization of the product in some form or another um either medicinally or fully recreational like it is in las vegas uh, nevada uh, new york uh massachusetts uh colorado i know there are more that i can't think of off the top of my head that have full recreational usage um and, and even in our home state of texas where it is still illegal um, certain cities have decriminalized it, um, and there's also statewide use of CBD products that are yeah, yeah. made from the hemp plant um, that are good for what the kind of purpose of this talk is, athlete recovery. Yeah. And, and making sure that the guys um, and girls don't follow down the same paths as people did back maybe in your generation, the generation prior, right, and the generation after you. Um, trying to make sure they don't go through that. Um, what have you, and, and, and even other professional sports organizations like the National Basketball Association, I, I don't believe is testing for uh, marijuana or marijuana-related products. So it would be kind of hard when a lot of their teams are in <laughs> states where it's, it's legal. recreationally yeah, legal. Yeah, yeah. um, it would be kind of difficult to enforce that rule. No. Um, what, what do you think? Do you think that's a step toward the right direction, um, legalization, in, in, in especially in terms of what, we're talking about athlete recovery. Well, in, in so many more ways, though, Brad, it's, it's a positive step because criminalizing marijuana and so many young kids right now in jail here in Texas. Right. Well, in, well, in, Texas. in Texas, yeah, yeah, because of 
uh, marijuana and some in jail for the rest of their lives and for 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 that plant and I just don't think it's something that that is right with so many other drugs out there um, being um, looked at as as legal you know what I mean uh, drugs I'm talking about is pharmaceuticals um, drugs I'm talking about alcohol drugs I'm talking about is cigarettes you know right when you when you look at something like that 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 have killed so many people and well, then yeah. we um, um, look at marijuana um, that that right there is one thing um, and not just so many uh, not just so many um, young people so many young blacks uh, 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 Young men and young women are in jail because of that, that one thing, you know. And I just feel like somebody don't do something about it. It's going to continue to, uh, you know, just perpetuate nonsense uh, more than anything. As far as um, the CBD, as far as um, the recovery of it, as far as guys being able to choose how they want to recover, opposed to a doctor telling them they need to take that pill. Um, to recover, I think that right there is. It, it, I think that's a huge talking point. That's a huge issue, um, right there. Because me personally, I think something that comes from the ground is a, a whole lot more natural than some scientist getting into a laboratory and creating and saying this is what you need. I, that's just me. I, I, now, I, now something like that, I could be one hundred percent wrong. I could be 100% wrong, but I would want to make that choice if, if that plant could help me opposed to something some pharmaceutical company created for me. Right. I think sometimes people make a mistake of uh, just because a doctor gives it to you means it's good for you, right? And, 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 well, and, 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 and I am not also uh, saying that the doctors do anything nefarious. Doctors go to school, they're taught, here are the symptoms, Here's the prescription that'll help those symptoms, right? Um, but at, but in the same respect, what you're saying, if there are natural benefits to something that's naturally occurring, uh, perhaps that should be explored well, at a at a greater basis than. Um, I got prescribed Adderall at one point. Okay, so Adderall is the focus drug. You know, if you have ADD or or, or what have you, right? Yeah. And if I was a, an addictive personality. I would need that every day. It was good. Oh my God, man! <laughs> I thought the the sky was as blue as I ever saw it. Yeah. I had spider senses. I gave one to Charmel. She stayed up to six o'clock in the morning, cleaned everything in the house. Couldn't go to sleep. Right. It, 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 you think that's good for you? No, I mean, it's essentially medical-grade speed, right, is exactly what it is. Exactly my point, exactly my point, but that's something that they can prescribe to you. And for me, I'd rather not go down that road to um, to tackle my ADHD. Uh, right. I think I would rather try to figure out some other way <laughs> some to other try method. to fix it opposed to going down that rabbit hole because I know that's not something that's natural that makes me feel that way because it's supernatural is unreal right. uh, it makes you feel like you can conquer the world and for me that's something that I don't need because it's it's, it's I, I, I have a saying if it's if it's good it's bad mm -hmm. if it's something that's really really good like cocaine and every other drug you know right. if, if it makes you feel that good it's not that it's bad for you right. you know so for me uh, I, I just feel like we should be able to 
make that choice as for it. Now, if it's if it's something that um, if it's something that's going to affect what I'm doing, if it's something that's going to affect you know uh, my daily and my job on a regular thing is you you're going to be the first one to see it. You're going to be the, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not just Not just you. Yeah. My boss. Right. Anybody, anybody you work that with. I work for. Anybody that I work with. They're going to be the first one to see it. They're going to say, man, Book's acting a whole lot different lately. Right. You know, what's wrong with him? That's what drugs do to you. Mm-hmm. That's what real drugs do to you. They alter your senses. They alter your, your ability to, to think um, straight. And I, I don't think marijuana... Now the movie uh, Cheech and Chong, you know, it's a lot of fun, right? It's a lot of embellishment in those movies. Yeah, nobody's gonna be smoking a ten foot joint, right? But, but in the movies, you can do that. Well, yeah, movies make believe. Movies are to be embellished, right? You know, and I think when people saw a lot of those movies, you know, Reefer Madness, of course, back in the sure. day, they, they it was a stigma on 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 marijuana and you know uh, uh, THC. But when they did it with alcohol back in the back in the prohibition days, they, mm, the 20s. they did it through speakeasies. They made it seem cool. They had actors on television smoking cigarettes so everybody could want to do it. So right. they did it from a totally different platform as far as advertising go to make you feel like it was something that was actually good for you. You know, and I think that was a bait and switch. It worked. It worked um, very well, you know. But I, but I think um, people now, finally, in in twenty twenty three, is waking up and seeing the benefits um, outweigh the, uh, you know, the the, the, the option. Yeah. yeah, I think that um, you know, like with other things, it's a stigmatized issue. Um, now, again, you know, I can only speak from what I've read and what I understand, not being. Um, you know, uh, anybody who's ever had a sip of alcohol in his life, uh, 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 marijuana or any prescription drugs for that matter, um, you know, like painkillers. I could, but, but, but if I'm looking at it like a logical person, right, not somebody speaking from experience, but somebody speaking from a logical standpoint, what you laid out a moment ago to me is very paramount and germane to the root of this discussion, which is if something grows from the ground, it's probably better for you one could you just assume right with logic yeah that it would be better for you than something that's a chemical compound there's a show on right now called, uh, called uh, i think it's called painkillers on netflix that talks about oxycontin and oxycontin's chemical compounds oh, yes. are identical to heroin yeah and they are prescribing these things like tic tacs oh yes you know and 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 to see what to see what this has um to see you know, what that has done to people's lives versus also what marijuana, the illegalization of it, not the effects of it, but the illegalization of it has yeah. done to people's lives. Yeah. Um, you know, this is something that, that I think is ridiculous in this country, which is the land of the free, right? The home of the brave. To, to, to me, if you're just across an imaginary line in the sand, it's the difference between life in prison and freedom of your life. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm a very logical person who, if you can explain it to me and make it make sense, I'll believe you. But no one can make that make sense to me. And I think that that, until we can get to a point to where, um, and I think that they made good steps in in this direction, even in our home city of Houston, um, 
you know, until we can get to that, you know, we can't say that, you know, we're a country of complete freedom um, when you have these imaginary lines keeping people in prison. Yeah, yeah, That's definitely. Um, no, it's been, um, it's been a, a big problem. I remember, um, never told this story before. I never told this story. I remember uh, one time I was, um, I guess I was about 16, and I was staying with my, uh, my one of my sisters uh, at this um, little motel, uh, and um, she wanted me to go and get a little sack, and uh, little sack is like about a, like five ten dollars worth of weed, you know, little okay. ten dollar sack. Is that and, what they mean, like buy like a? What's the word? What? No, no, go ahead, I ten, can't think of it. Ten dollar bag, ten dollar sack. You know? Okay, okay. And uh, dime bag. Dime bag. Is that what that yeah, is? That's what that is. I was trying to think so of the dime bag. Daryl, so she about. gave me the keys. Yeah. Sixteen, right? Right. I, I go to Third Ward. Because I was going to school at, at Yates, so mm-hmm. I knew exactly what the little spot was. And um, I go upstairs, get it, come back down, get in the car, heading back to the motel. And uh police car pulled me over. And uh, I'm scared, man. I'm scared. So I stashed a little $10 bag in my, 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 pay, in my, my, in my underwear. And then um, the cop... He, Black, black, black cop too, black police officer. He he rose up on me and uh, said license and registrations, and I go, sorry sir, I don't have a license. He go, what what are you doing over here? Well, I was just going to see a friend. He said, come on man, where, where is it? Give it to me. I already know exactly where you went and everything. So, so I pulled a dime bag out and I give it to him. So you know, uh, you know, you can be in a lot of trouble for this, right? You know, I'm I'm sweating bullets, you know. He said, "But I'm gonna let you go." And then I said, "You gonna let me go?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Yeah." Um, I said, "You gonna let me go?" He goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna let you go." And I got ready to leave. He go, "But no, no, no. If you leave, I'm gonna have to arrest you for for possession." And then I said, but you can have it. He said, but I don't want it. I said, well, I'll throw it away right here. He said, if you do that, I'm going to have to arrest you for littering. I said, so what you going to do? He made me eat that dime bag, and he let me go. Wow. And what did you take from that? Don't ever put myself in a situation because something can happen. Well... I think we've gone down a, uh, a path that's an enlightening one for a lot of people listening, things that they haven't maybe thought about or considered prior to. And um, I think it's been an, an awesome, <laughs> awesome ride in, 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 a, crazy, in a way. Right? A lot of game. But you um, were about to have a meet and greet. You got people lining up to see you um, all these years later. A long way from that car when you were 16 in Third Ward, huh? Yeah, man, way. it's crazy, man. <laughs> I never told that story, man. But yeah, uh, I never heard that. That officer, where he is, man, I just want to thank him because uh, it could have been a rap for you then. It could have been a rap. Well, it just—it was a life lesson, though. Mm-hmm. It was only a dime bag. It was only marijuana, and he knew it. Right. And he knew that putting me in jail could have gotten me a record. I didn't learn fully from that ex- that that experience, but. 
it definitely taught me a, a, a life lesson that I could uh, share with someone. Yeah. 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 Well, an incredible day, but I know you have some things to get to. We're an hour in, which done, is about man. where we need to wrap things done. up. I want to thank everybody for stepping inside the Hall of Fame, getting your champagne wishes, caviar dreams, Brad, all the heavy lifting. But right now, like I always say, peace. We love you. And we out.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.